All right, so we're gonna talk about art today. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit nervous. I went down oh a major rabbit hole though, a different <laughs> rabbit hole. Oh, you did? Where, where did you go now? Uh, Barnett Newman. Barnett uh, Newman is another color field painter, like abstract expressionist painter from Marth Rothko's generation. But anyway, we can start with. Um, yeah. Are you looking up that article again? So Barnett Newman, I'll look into it, but. You start first, like you wanted to talk about Mark Rothko. I knew a little bit about him. I, I, I see even Seeger mules. I knew he had some mules, which he kind of didn't end up selling. But I did not know the name of it, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, interested in hearing from you, like why you wanted to talk more about Mark Rothko and what does his painting or his life mean for you? I mean, it was just a random passing thought. <laughs> it's an All artist right. I still in like maybe 10 years ago <laughs> okay. so, yeah because as a kid I flipped through a lot of art, art books and my first stop in every city that I would visit was an art museum so now at this age I don't remember any of the art museums I've been to if you say oh like that Picasso painting wasn't that is in that museum I'd be like I've probably seen it but I don't remember yeah, because I've seen so many copies of it online and in books. And True. then you see yes. Picasso in different places and the exhibits move around. So now I'm like, I honestly don't know where I've been. Right, right. right. Yeah, I can't trust the memories. <laughs> Have you seen any? Uh, I mean, yes. I remember, you know, when I was backpacking to Europe, I, wherever city we went, we always checked out the museum. But like you said, I, I don't remember. I remember seeing, like, I think I saw Guernica, Picasso. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like just mesmerized by when you know when you see a painting online and when you see the painting itself yeah just then you know how big it is and the materiality of it yeah like there's just no way you could recreate that in a virtual or in an image experience like it's there yeah. and it is a physical presence yeah. right it's not just concept it's not just visual you know expression it's 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 like a being almost so i remember being blown away and mm. then like gaudi cathedral uh, so, but those who stand in my, you know, my memory, but other things I don't remember. Mm. But I want to go back. It's so curious that you as a kid oh, flipped through art books. And then whenever you went to a city, the art museum is the first place you went. Like, And most people don't do that. <laughs> I think most young people hit like <laughs> the, the bar, the club, and, and then we'll check out some of the cultural thing. Oh, I'm oh, sure yeah. you went to the bar too. Club too. <laughs> And I'm sure you have amazing stories, and uh, we would love to hear here too. <laughs> but yeah, why why art museums? One of the first things I'm so curious. What draws you to museums and to art? I don't know. I mean, nowadays again, I do go, but now I go to see the contemporary stuff because I feel like I don't even remember anymore all the stuff that I see. Um, in terms of, you know, religious art, medieval art, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, there's amazing, there's so many amazing works, but mm. uh, I feel like I've flipped through a lot of it. And there's not that element of, like, novelty anymore, which I guess huh. is something I saw. But when I was a kid, I was really kind of like you. If you see something in person if you are in the presence of a certain artwork and it's That's huge insane. 
you see the physicality of it, it's um, it makes an impression on you. So for me, I would see a lot of, you know, art books and stuff. And then I'd see it in person and it was like just amazing. So, yeah, like you could be like, oh, I've seen that before in a book. And then this is the real thing, you know. So it's exciting. Um, I don't remember where I would have seen it, like American Museum, probably Washington, D.C., and New York and probably in Toronto or something, somewhere. Are in you Canada. not talking about some paintings by Mark Rothko that you've no, seen? No, I'm about talking about paintings in general. In terms of, general, okay, I've seen some here and there again. I don't remember. But in but, person. Yeah, in I person. Think I've been to the wow. Tate to see Rothko. I think I have. Wow. Or in any case, I've seen a room full of Rothko paintings somewhere. Okay. Yeah. So it, it don't matter where, but you've seen it. You were there. How was the experience? How was it? It's really okay. First, I have to ask: Have you seen these like big color field paintings? Just like a major piece of artwork, giant that takes Impressive. up like yeah, a wall no. with just no. a color or two. No. 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 Really. For some reason I've never run into it. I guess I haven't checked out as enough museums as you did, or or I never sought out. I never sought out museums. I'll be honest. Okay, I'm not gonna pretend to be a cultured person here. <laughs> no, no, it's not that I'm cultured, yeah. but that's no, just... no. I, yeah, I just yeah, I came to appreciate art more, you know, through my wife, who's an artist. Mm. And I think pre that, like seeing an artist at work does, you know, like whenever you know a bit more about some industry or field, then you know the work that goes behind it. But pre that, it was all just pretension and pretending, I'll be honest. Right? Literature is what I love. Mm -hmm. But art was like, uh, especially contemporary, I was like, oh, I could do that. You know, that stupid type of mentality. <laughs> like, oh, they don't know how to do representation. And so they went to abstract because it's easier. But we'll get to that. So I haven't gone to any large, you know, field, color fields. So mm -hmm. I, that's why I'm eager to hear, like, your experience of it. Mm. Well, it's like being in the presence of something it's just very physical it's huge so you're kind of enveloped by this color i guess mm. if you stand in front of it and it depends how close you get you know yeah. and um it depends what color it is as well so mm. rothko um yeah i guess every color kind of might affect you differently like emotionally maybe i really liked the description in the article about how the color in the seagram murals is like the back of an eyelid the inside of an eyelid it's like a reddish brownish organicish kind of color um okay. but kind of dead as well mm. but um yeah i think it really depends whose painting it is and what color it is but just struck by what it does to you I guess okay, okay. yes on the painting because it's so big right what yeah. it does to you. so tell me more with that yeah I, I do believe that I, I know the other artworks again I don't I can't recall but Guarnica is one of them where it does it does something to you mm -hmm. and I do believe that color in presented like that does something to you so can you like tell me a little more what it did to you or even specific emotions that you felt i even hear people like they stay there and they find it actually spiritual and meditative 
mm-hmm. or even cry for n- not they don't know quite know why but they cried oh, wow. so that sounds like dramatic but yeah. you know, I, I believe it happens though mm, i guess it could did you cry Okay. Okay. Take a lot for me to cry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or actually nothing, but it'd have to be something personal. Um, This, I mean, to me, I think it's uh, it's moving, but in a non-personal way. Hmm. It's so spatial and it's so abstract that it's not personal anymore. It's like out there. Um. Yeah, it's like some kind of impersonal sort of other space, I guess. Mm, I'm just looking at what they all look like now. But, like, the seagull murals are ugly, to be honest with you. They're just, like, ugly colors, not my preferred colors. And, like, what the heck is it, you know? Yeah, you or I could probably paint it. But it seems like there's someone's touch in it and so much intention in it mm-hmm. that it just like sucks you in I guess which is why I could look at it for a long time because you also see mm. brush stroke or every you know decision that was made so it's a whole series of decision in the canvas right mm-hmm. so the the color itself and the fact that it's like someone's hand on it and also, if you think about it, it was like, you know, like the beginning of that Guardian article about Rothko. He was in his, in the pool of his own blood, he was found dead, you know, it's like that kind of reddish, deadly kind of thing. The kind of danger as well. Um, yeah. What, what did you think about, about it once you looked at the images and kind of read about it? Uh... So let me, I, I think I'll get there, but first starting with like how everything, it seemed like a simple block of color, but it's intentional. And then there's decisions that was made and you could see those decisions. And that's how I've come to appreciate like abstract expressionism or even most simplest minimal artwork, which seems like there was no decisions, but actually, there's a lot more decisions that are made for that artwork than representational art. Mm-hmm. Like in one sense, you are guided. You are telling a story. You are trying to replicate an image, or you're trying to replicate an image in a certain style. So, in one sense, some many major decisions are made. But to be in the blank canvas mm-hmm. and then try to get in tune with whether it's your emotions or feeling or whatever you perceive, and now you're gonna make decisions about color, strokes, and where to lay it. Mm-hmm. That's freaking scary, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and you have no idea how it might come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, I, again, talking with my wife as an artist, like, she does have a sense, but it's still a conversation that's happening because, again, it's not a representational. And then you come back and, you know, like, y- your life happens, which means that you come back a different person and so you, a different conversation happens, right? And, and then, like, every time you come back, you make different decisions. So that's how I've come to, like, really appreciate the bold courage in any abstract or minimalist art. So, mm-hmm. um, 
and yes, I, for like what I've known, uh, studied about and read about Mark Rothko, like, I mean, for him to really like trust the color, I, I think that's courageous. And I've also heard that he like ex- tested it a lot. Again, you think like, oh, it's simple, but he tested a lot of different shades of color. He even experimented with different ways to make the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see a live version of any of these paintings right then you realize that it's not just about color but the material decision of the color Uh, and although you can't touch it it does something to you Mm -hmm. right um again that cannot be expressed it's not like different shades it's just that the the paint material is also affecting you Mm -hmm. and i heard many he had many different experiences um so i can imagine uh like it oh also another thing i think when you when you are uh being impacted by these kind of uh minimalistic and abstract expressionism i do think it's uh because it's not okay so it's it's a difference between let's say you listen to music with lyrics and it could be the lyrics that moves you right there's a story or it's a great hip-hop line and wow that's so creative wordplay but it could that's that's like the uh, usual classic representation art abstract expressionism is like no words and it's just the music and Mm. music does something to you Mm. which i find interesting you said not personal you're right it's it's less personal but at the same time i don't know what the word would be uh like it's still you like you're not impacted by another person's story like you, it's still like something you and the other. At, at, and I think it's at the same time. Um, and so you're just experiencing the color, mm. how the color experiences you. It's mm. not how the the story of a color that's resonating, all right, right, or, or the mythology, whatever it is. It's not that. It's the color. It's the shape. It, that's what I'm trying to get mm. you. And I think there's some purity of experience to that. Mm. I love that. I love that analogy because. I mean, what do you, what moves you more, the the melody itself or the lyrics for you personally? I, I mean, oh, so it's, is there a question for me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, I enjoy music differently. So yeah, there are some musics like Hamilton. I mean, it's musically great, but it, it's, um, Lin-Manuel has some amazing instrumental that goes with some amazing creative lyrics that he has and how certain phrases change like i'm not gonna waste my shot in the very beginning do you did you ever hear the whole hamilton Mm -hmm. right he goes from i'm not gonna waste my shot which is like you know if i get an opportunity i'm gonna go for it this kind of will to succeed and thrive in hamilton but the end when he ends up with a duel with uh and that's where he dies right with Aaron Burr, I'm not going to waste my shot. And so actually he does, doesn't shoot Aaron. He shoots it up in the air, but Aaron shoots him. So, so the way in the story, these themes, these same phrases have different meaning. Like that is powerful. Mm. Uh, so all of that, <laughs> I could get lost in Hamilton. I could talk about Hamilton all day too. Uh, <laughs> so yes, that that's artistry too. Um, but there are times also where I want to just listen to like jazz music, right? Classical music without any lyrics, because I don't want to. I don't want people to tell me implant. So th- again, that to say, then I I, I uh, ex- in- 
enjoy both of them, but for different way, reasons, and they mm. do impact me differently. Um, do I think one is more, uh, how do you say, more skillful? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Or does one move you more than the other? Do you relate one to? One moves me more. Uh, I think it's easier to relate to lyrics. Mm. But if there's like classical music that moves me, it does definitely move me more. Mm. Because it's it's so yeah, it's it's about me. It's my feelings. Like it's no one. I'm not being moved by someone's story. Mm-hmm. I'm not being moved by Hamilton's story. I am being moved by the music, which is again the music itself, but it's also my experience. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know how to get to it yet. To what you're saying, like I, I, it's deep. It's not personal, but also deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. Abstract expressionism. Yeah. Yeah, because it's also the artist's heroic act, right? Of mm-hmm. this grand gesture, like Jackson Pollock, kind of doing his thing. That's very, you know. The artist as a hero, heroic figure. So it is about them, and then it's about you encountering this mm. as well. Yeah. So in the sense, it is very like person centric in a way. Mm. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. I don't really relate to lyrics very much because I think I don't okay. really listen to lyrics, and I don't remember lyrics unless they're trashy. Interesting. And okay. they're catchy. trashy. Meaning yeah. they're bad. Or are you mean? Yeah, I mean, there's one song recently that I listened to where it's like, it's about Jesus being a crack addict or something like that, and just like stuck with me. It was just really catchy. Anyway. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> a crack addict. <laughs> or something like It was just there. Maybe he's a sex addict. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the lyrics, but I can't remember. Anyway, just some kind of weird lyrics that st- stand out to me, but it's not because I relate. Because like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, Joy. I've tried other sure. things. It's about your life, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's more wordless things that I appreciate. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? Okay. There's no reason. It's. Be- I don't really listen to the lyrics. It just kind of passes over my head. Okay. I think I kind of remember the tune and I can remember like the instrumental side of it but okay that's not true um if I've heard it enough times I'll remember like pop lyrics and stuff like Toto I've listened to a lot um so I will remember those lyrics but not because I can relate to them yeah or like the police or David Bowie lyrics they're just random yeah I think they purposely make it so it's catchy. So yeah, with yeah. pop songs for sure. Yeah, but maybe it also has to do with now that I think about it, like my being drawn to abstract expressionism. It's mm-hmm. something about like the form a bit more than the content. That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I guess you could put it that way in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard. Um, Description of classical music as one of the only pure form art. Mm. Right? Just so there's no content, no content. Mm-hmm. 
and the melodies have meaning in the context of, mm. in other words, the form, mm -hmm. right? That one note can be a happy note or an angry note, sad note, depending upon like how it happens in the chord progression or whatever. So, mm. so tell me like uh, some music that wordless music that has really impacted you or or maybe you go to still regularly. I mean, there's a really random YouTube song that I came across years ago that I still okay. listen to. It's just, it's just called Stateless. Um, no, it's by Stateless and it's called Bloodstream, I think. But it's just a really nice piano intro and then it gets, huh. there's a bit of, I think synth and yeah, I'm into, I'm really into synth apparently. Oh, you are. Mm. Isn't that kind of English, British, Scotland, synth music? I have no, no idea. New Wave came from uh, Eurasia. I have no, no idea. <laughs> no. Right. But you are into synth, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, well, I do like piano in songs. Okay. I don't like acoustic guitar, but I do enjoy piano. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. And you just, it's, I mean, music is so personal. It's just, it, it is. Yeah. You like it or you don't. And it might be by the same artist and you may like the song or not. Right. Um, so it's quite, I don't know, like instinctive, mm -hmm. instinctual, isn't it? I th yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you taste a food, it's, you like it or you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes there's like the in betweens, but you usually yeah. know if you like something right, or not. Right. Yeah. And then there's like a quiet taste, like cilantro. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't like cilantro at first, but oh, now cilantro is like, it's <laughs> vitamins of all food, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think music, right? In the beginning, maybe. Like I didn't like jazz, but now I'm really enjoying jazz. Mm. And I think jazz is even more form and less, mm. less, I mean, because like even classical music, I could kind of hear the chord progressions Pop music, I could incorporate. So I, you know, I was into music. I even thought about becoming a rock star, and then my dad said no. <laughs> and so I said, okay, yeah, good son, right? But uh, so yeah, I I I studied music theory on my own. Like mm. I went to library, so like I could hear incorporates of many pop musics, and I could even kind of like replicate or sense like the chord type of chord progression that you use even in classical music but jazz is not like it doesn't the bar is not done 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 right it's always flowing and moving mm -hmm. and uh, it's always syncopated and um, even the chord progression right it, it doesn't it yeah it, so in one sense sometimes jazz might sound like all of them are same but the only reason why they might sound same is because they're not following your set classical or, or pop chord progression. Mm. And I think I've come to appreciate that more. It's an appreciated taste for me, right? I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Amazing musicality here. Yeah, I love jazz as well. It's, yeah. you know, there's so much freedom within the fixed form. Freedom. You have a set amount of time. Well, maybe you don't, but you improvise and you can have people join in if you want and then you give each person their space to do whatever right. they want yeah. so you kind of have a basic melody maybe but then you do right. whatever is, which i think is great yeah. which i also think is why you have to see it in person like i don't think yes. it's justice to listen to mm -hmm. it 
that's interesting. You're right. Because the individual musician is so important to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that so. That is interesting. You're right. And every performance they give is probably different. Right. Yeah, which is what I thought, what I've thought about theater as well, which is why I would I would go to see theater and pay more to go to see theater. I mean, which I used to do in the past because every performance is different. Mm. Every audience is different and every moment that this happens will not be ever, yeah. will never occur again. Right. So, right. yeah. But anyway, you could probably think of abstract art as an acquired taste as well. <laughs> I probably yeah. I mean yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah, I think if if you try something, then you know, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that like you were saying, the thousands of decisions that comes, then it's that that needs to be made to create an abstract work. Yeah. Um, you have to go there and look, spend time with it. Yes. I don't think you'd be able to appreciate it through a tiny little textbook reproduction of the picture because it looks like you can make it yourself. Right. Yeah. But um, in terms of creating it, I found... So I I went down this whole rabbit hole with Barnett Mann's okay. work. All right. Uh, Guide me to the rabbit hole. Rothko's contemporary and I believe well anyway this person was also very much into art theory and wrote about it and wrote about the sublime in terms of uh, in relation to abstract expressionism and stuff like that but um, there was something that I couldn't I was like I know there was a mention of God and like creation somewhere and separation and I was like who wrote it who was it is it Rothko but no it was an art critic called Thomas Hess who okay. was Barnett Newman's friend I mean well but this is an art critic and um in terms of I think this can can be applied to to abstract expressionism in general but um no, actually art in general, because it just occurred to me as you were talking about, you know, acts of creation when you're making abstract art and all the decisions that are made. And mm-hmm. um, I'll send this article to you. It's on the Tate. But essentially, there's a quote that I found in this article by Philip Shaw, who is professor of romantic studies in the School of English at the University of Leicester. OK, whatever. But um this artist, Thomas Newman, or sorry, Barnett Newman, claimed that the artist, like God, begins with chaos, the void. So the artist's first move is to reenact God's primal gesture by informing the void with a downward stroke or zip. Or anyway, the first sort of movement on the gesture on the the canvas to kind of create something and Barnett Newman typically paints um what this artist called the zip but it's like a vertical line top to bottom of a big uh canvas and so this was equated to being about the act of creation itself and you can interpret it religiously and to regard the vertical bands of color again i'm reading from this uh, article as analogous to an act of division a gesture of 
gesture of separation as God separated light from darkness with a line drawn in the void. So it was sort of this, you know, like divine kind of inspiration, this act of creating and separating and uniting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll send you the article right there in the chat. Mm-hmm. And um, Arnett Newman also created this series of six paintings called One Mint, One Mint One to Six, and I'll send you the painting now. It's at the moment, I think. Um, One Mint, the series, is taking out the AT from atonement, so it's really about like a unity kind of situation. And so the bands are separating the painting, but are also uniting them at the same time. And this artist also created two counterpart paintings that are called Adam and Eve as well. So it's sort of about like uniting and yeah, it's just all of this religious kind of motif as well. But this person is Jewish and I believe Rothko also had a Jewish background, but their works ended up in this um, uh, interfaith chapel as well, um, both of them. So anyway, there's this whole spiritual religious dimension that you also touched upon. Um, And you can kind of see that in how they theorized about their work as well. But I guess in the experience of being there also, it's, um, I guess that's what I mean by being beyond you. Okay. They would probably call it the slime or something philosophical, but there's something that takes you. Okay. Somewhere else, like another space, really, beyond you. So for you, that was a kind of a spiritual experience, too? You you could say? Would you use the word spiritual to describe your experience? I don't think so. No, okay. I I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) But I do think it was... Transcendental? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I think that language does kind of help help me at least kind of explore this how the paradox of it's not personal but yet it is deeply personal. It's like how transcendence is also maybe the deepest eminence or imminence, right? Mm-hmm. You go deeper than your ego to this pre-ego self, and naturally that pre-ego self is in touch with the universe, right? I mean, there's that type of, I don't know if you've heard about that. So, uh, and I, I could see like that language helping me actually express that sense of it is deeply personal and yet deeply the other or the universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like this theology behind it, how they theologize about this artwork. But there's another part of me like they're like, uh, I think you're trying to give too much meaning. <laughs> but I guess as an artist, their intention was that they've been thinking like that, right? As in participating in the act of creation or continuing the act of God. Um, well, I mean, you can think about it as, I mean, in terms of religious interpretation, you can see it that way. But on the flip side, if you're claiming that the artist is doing God's, imitating God's gesture, they're the God, right? So they're really the center of this. Mm-hmm. They're creating 
Um, they're also not creating representations of anything. They're creating their own thing. So it's actually their mm -hmm. own new creation. That's the analogy, right? Right. Uh, and so their work is actually really about the human. <laughs> if you sort of remove God in that scenario. Right, right, right. So I think you can read it both ways as being yeah. like a godly gesture, but you can also say it's a godlike gesture as well. Right. Okay. Because they're not starting with the preconceived form, just a blank canvas, which is analogical to uh, chaos, like yeah. formless. Yeah. You're giving form. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, we're veering off topic. <laughs> no, I think we're right on topic. We came back. We were talking about music, yeah. jazz, and we came back to art. You brought us back. Thank you, Joy. <laughs> Was there something about the Guardian article that, I don't know, stuck out to you? Was there like a reason why I read it. Can you send me the link again? I, I feel like I read it maybe when you first sent it, or, but I forget now. I think you sent it to me. Did I send it to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I told you, I forgot. Ask you why you sent it to me. I forgot. See? Oh, okay. Yeah, so this story I did not know where he um, is ethically consistent as an artist. Ethically consistent? Yeah, uh, that he was commissioned to this artwork and then he didn't want his artwork to just be a mere a uh, adornment for the rich people to enjoy. Uh, and so he actually because I took it back here to the museum. Mm. I, I think that's normal. Uh, you know, that's separate from artists, I understand, like the artwork itself. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you hear of artists who don't seem to have any ethical center, and he does. And so I, I just found that, from a human person perspective, you know, interesting. Mm. I don't know, but was, he, was his ego so big that he was like, I can't be decoration? Or oh, what was yeah. it? Might have been a mixture of those. You're right. Things. It is true. My cynical joy. <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Which is good. You're right. You're right. Because I also know heard that he's an he was an asshole at times too. Right? In other areas. Probably yeah. Maybe the word consistent is not the right word. Right? Uh so you're right. In any good decision, there's always other reasons, right? You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's possible, but like Rothko also described the room in the expensive restaurant in the Seagram building as a place where the richest bastards in New York will come to feed and show off. And so <laughs> he wanted to make those rich bastards feel that they are trapped in a room where all the doors and windows are bricked up. It's a bit petty as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. Essentially... Rothko wanted the, the paintings to look like um, the Laurentian Library, the link to which I just sent you now, where it's a room where all the windows are not windows. It's just it looks like a boarded up house, but it's intentionally they're just walls with fake windows. So. So that's another thing about space. I, I don't know where I read it, but that he was, Mark Roth wasn't just talk, thinking about the painting and the canvas, but the space that he wanted to create. Mm. 
And like, I think even even a, just a, a good painting canvas, you know, whatever moves you, like that space changes because of that. Yeah. I mean, like when we have some of my wife's artworks here, uh, and then when we have to move, remove it because she has to go in a show, mm. the space changes. Mm-hmm. And you just don't understand how that painting had like created an experience for you every time you enter the room until mm. it's gone. Mm. Um, but like for him, I think it's intentionally just like how several of his paintings together can create space. Yeah. And again, I think I read somewhere where he was intentionally seeking where only people engage with just his paintings. Because mm. it is true when you have one artist and another artist, you you have conflicting visions. Right? And and I think maybe one of the reasons why museum can be so exhausting and why I actually like I go through it or like it's because you are constantly bombarded with different visions of the world, right? By different artists. And you mm. keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And like, oh, you're exhausted. It's kind of like maybe food. <laughs> like, okay, no matter how good that food is, I can enjoy it at this point. Mm. Uh, but here is like Mark wanting to, Rothko wanting to give you like one crazy, just one. But all of it is just his work. Mm. And I think that itself would be very powerful too. Yeah. I believe he gave the Tate specific lighting instructions and like placement instructions for um, when he gave the works to the Tate. So, yeah, probably wanted a specific effect on people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Which makes sense because they're so physical. They're so huge. Physical, yes. It yeah. is a presence, like you said. It's mm-hmm. almost a being. It is a being, I think. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right. The way it's invited into the space, where so space, uh, painting impacts space, but space impacts painting. Uh, like students' artwork changes according to what space that it's presented at. Um, and sometimes the space is just not right for the painting. The painting is like, no, nah, I don't want to go here. This is not for me. Yeah. I, I don't like these people. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so much trickier than, well, actually, I don't know, with sculptures, for example, because you can walk around them and see them in 3D. So it's, um, you can experience them in, on different dimensions, you know, via different dimensions. Whereas a painting is just one side of the wall. Yes. So you can't walk to the other side. Right. So you have to set it up so that you have like this optimal sort of experience facing the wall, mm. which is sort of yeah. a natural if you think about it. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing to think about. Like, so statue is three-dimensional, so you, in one sense, have more leverage. Like, you have all these other ways to relate. Whereas the art is flat, painting is flat. It's not flat, flat, but it's two-dimensional, right? Uh, and so, but is it that limit itself that gives that painting another type of potentiality that a statue can't? Mm. Right. So. Like you said, with statue, people can move around. Mm-hmm. With the painting, in one sense, you have the artist can't frame, in one sense, how you experience this artwork. Mm. Right. So, yeah. I, I'm just thinking this out loud with you. Yeah. Well, it was different when it was representational. So you can mm-hmm. look at it and find things in there 
So I guess that gave you the form, the figures to look at and identify, and it was like a window into something. Mm -hmm. These color, these solid color things are kind of like a blocked window, really, like at this in this Laurentian library. So it just looks back at you. <laughs> looks back at yeah, you. Yeah, into anything. Because if you look out like that, it's usually at a window. If you mm -hmm. look at a wall, it's probably. Uh, if it's not the TV, it's probably a window into something else. So mm -hmm. the, these can be a window to something else, often if they're representational. But if it's just a block of some a color, it's like kind of reflecting it back at you. Mm -hmm. No way. I'm just so, also talking it out loud with you. But yeah, yeah, I, I like the phrase. And I've heard it before somewhere where they feel like the art is looking back at you. That's even a deeper subjectivity to the painting. And, and you would describe that, that you experienced it like that a bit? Like the artwork was looking back at you? Well, it, I mean, you described it as being a presence in itself, yeah. right? Uh -huh. I think the, the artwork itself has a kind of subjectivity. I think uh -huh. it does speak to you in a way uh -huh. that's not narrative. Right. There's right. no narrative anymore in these abstract paintings. Right. So in yeah. the end, yes, you make sense of it. So it's about you, but also you're not interpreting it via representations. Right. So you're not reading it like a book. No. Yeah. It's not a blank, but it's full. But it's also right. there's nothing to be interpreted. Mm. I mean, right. there is, there isn't. You know what I mean? Like there's yes, no, yes, nicehole. Right. Yeah. Right, so it's not beholden to meaning, and I think there's a freedom in that. It doesn't have to have a meaning. Yeah. Right? If you're a representation, then what is this artist trying to say when he makes this sun behind this tree and and this character is in mid form of what like going somewhere like so? You don't have to have meaning. Um, well, it's like it, classical music. There's a more developed form so you yeah. can you have certain degrees of freedom with what you can do and how you can interpret it right, right. once you get to experimental jazz or something it's sort of like out there you know <laughs> it's a little bit more free form yeah um i don't think the experimental jazz is the best analogy but you know what i mean it's more structured yeah, yes. than less structured yeah. so yes right um, I take that back. It is still structured, but not in the same minute sort of way. Yeah. So, so I want to go back to that thing, like the painting, seeing me. So I'm trying to see if like, in a relationship or even in a conversation, like there is experience of me, I am seeing her or him. Or I, like, and there is some like joy to that when you see somebody like oh i hear you i understand you uh and so there's a connection that happens right but then i think there are very rare times when i feel like someone sees me and someone really sees me understands me and those are gifts right and i'm just wondering like i wonder if that distinction happens in like artwork where I'm curious because I, I have experience with I feel like I see the artwork like, wow, I recognize your presence right now. 
but to understand, feel like the art sees me, I think that would be powerful. If if my analogy holds, like I think because there's a difference between seeing and being seen. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know if it's that degree of subjectivity, but I guess yeah. it's sort of it's that seeing this is being reflected back at you. Okay. Because the object doesn't hold that meaning for you, so it comes uh, back at you. Okay. So maybe it's a double subjectivity on yourself. I don't know, but um. Or, or you are seeing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Provide yeah. some type of you know, ref not reflection, but right, it's not like a mirror reflection, but some other deeper. Like you're saying, sending back to you, and then okay. Mm. Okay. I want I want to have that experience. I I I long to. I think that's an experience I would want to seek out. If I'm making a bucket list, people say make a bucket list. It will be that right. Just is it the Tate Museum where it's all Mark Rothko paintings only, the one space? Where is that? I think so. I think okay. so. But it must be other places as well. Okay. But um, that would be an experience. Yeah, I mean, if it works, that kind of effect on you, right? You might go there and be like, this is so underwhelming and it's so ugly. <laughs> You're right. Maybe too much expectation. Or I might have like, you know, scolded my kids like, oh, you. And they're going like, ah, I'm not ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if you happen to come across them, I don't know if you would want to seek them out. But um, I guess at the end of it, you're... Yeah. There's no pressure, I think. I feel a certain sense of pressure when I'm in front of a religious artwork or a very representational artwork where you kind of have to know the story, right? Mm. Like this was this person who was the patron of whatever, Vermeer or whatever, and it reflects this and this scenario of the time period. Mm -hmm. And of course, abstract expressionism is part of that like time period. You can discuss how uh, it reflected these masculine sort of virility kind of values, and it was very, you know, toxic masculinity or whatever. Um, I think there is that aspect to to abstract expressionism of the 1950s in New York as well. But um, but I think if it if you can get lost in it mm -hmm. without putting too much effort. Like you can with these color fields, I think um, that's maybe where the subjectivity of the painting comes and meets you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. maybe that doesn't make any sense. Sure, no, it does. It does make a lot of sense. Podcast listeners, that makes a lot of sense. That's why you're listening. I'm talking to our audience <laughs> of five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand. After an hour of stuttering. <laughs> absolutely uh, makes sense that is deep joy that is deep no i really i'm gonna hold on to this analogy of of uh music and form that you came up with <laughs> yeah i'm deep yes i <laughs> <laughs>